Nathan are going to be traveling to our Sovereign Grace Church's Pastors Conference. Um, and so please be praying this upcoming week that we'll be refreshed in the Lord um, as as we gather together to worship with our uh, sister churches and uh, friends uh, that we have been building together in partnership with for a long time. And uh, it's interesting, we were talking about this just the other night when we were out, and uh, they planted uh, just a year after our church, and so I just remember uh, just the, the first beginnings of the church plant in Bristol, and it's just been a joy to watch. I think they posted a 15-year anniversary picture similar to the way we do uh, just this past week, and it just was such a, a precious display of God's faithfulness. Um, and I'm so thankful for Nathan and Claire. They also um, have been such a blessing to our church in relation to the care of Mario and Jan Vucinovic in Croatia. Um, I want you guys to know that this guy has traveled to Croatia with John and I, last November, uh, to care for Mario and Jen. Then he went again in the spring to care for Mario and Jen. Um, and he is doing so much to help all of us in partnership to get the local church established in Croatia. And Nathan, we are so grateful for your care uh, for Mario and Jen on behalf of Sovereign Grace. Uh, we feel like it's an expression of care to our church. And um, we're so thankful Um just for your love for Christ. This is a man who loves Jesus and loves his church. And uh, brothers and sisters, I wish you could have been there last year in the village in Shibanik where Mario and Jen uh, first met. And uh, just seeing Nathan minister to a small Croatian church, the glorious gospel, and to see people's hearts stirred. It was such a blessing to be there together with him. And that's why I'm so excited for him to preach the gospel to you all and to all of us. And so can we welcome Nathan Smith uh, to us as he comes to preach God's word? Thanks, buddy. All right. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. I I'm genuinely, uh, I, I travel some, not, not a huge amount, but I love to visit um, other Sovereign Grace Churches, thank you, uh, when I have the opportunity to. And, and one of the things that's always common that I felt again this morning just as we stood to worship together is uh, just the joy of being with God's people that even though we come from, I don't know how many thousand miles away, Bristol is from Reading, uh, but we come from four or five thousand miles away and we join together and we sing about the same Savior and we love the same Lord, and we have experienced the same grace, and we get to partner in the gospel to make it known across our nations and across the world. And it just thrills my heart that this morning I get to do it with, with you people. Um, and although I've only met some of you, I feel very much at home. And so thank you for welcoming me. Thank you for, uh, for the opportunity to, to be with you. Uh, I do bring greetings from Grace Church in Bristol. We are... Uh, as CB said, just celebrating our 15th year, and God has been very faithful to us. Thank you so much for praying for us. We definitely need your prayers in the, in the United Kingdom. We are a nation that is very secular, very ungodly, very needy, and uh, only the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to break the darkness in the United Kingdom and push it back. 
So please do pray for us. We would be so grateful for your prayers that God would raise up faithful men, faithful women, faithful churches in our nation who preach the gospel and glorify and exalt the Savior, Jesus Christ. So thank you. Uh, I, I spoke to Mario on Thursday. So this is hot off the press. Uh, many of you will know Mario and Jen. They are a wonderful couple who are uh, taking their family and planted a church or planning to start a church and work in the ground in Croatia, in Eastern Europe. And um, when a few months ago, back in April, May, Mario was a man who was burdened. Uh, some of the just the, the things that God had led them through and some of the situations that they were in, he was he was a man who was burdened, who looked like he was carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders as he was feeling the the weight of the need of the gospel in Croatia and aware of his own inadequacies and uh, aware of uh, just the, the difficulty of transitioning with a family from the U.S. to Croatia, the differences and just, I think, the culture shock and everything else and um, just was clinging on to God and holding in there as much as he could. And when I spoke to him on Thursday, he looked like a different man. Uh, it was wonderful. It, he, he was smiling. He looked 10 years younger because he shaved his beard and cut his hair. And I was like, man, are you, where's, your, where's your dad? Let me speak to your dad, thinking it was, uh, was one of the boys. And he said, no, it is, it's me, it's Mario. And I said, you just, you're smiling, man. And he just said, it, God has just been so good the last few months as they've moved from the south of the country up into uh, into the town of Zaprazic, which is just outside of Zagreb, the capital of the nation. Uh, they've found a home. Jen feels like she's finally got a place where she can settle and make home for her family. Uh, and Mario's just telling me about the even now the opportunities that they've had to begin to just reach out, preach the gospel, and see things established there in the town of Zaprazic. So thank you so much for all that you're doing. As a local church to to serve Mario and Jen, to support them in the gospel going forward. Um, one of the things that I love about our partnership in Sovereign Grace is that um, churches who, in and of themselves, by themselves, we're really nothing. We're, just, we were just, we're like a teardrop in an ocean of need. And yet together, when we come together in a genuine partnership, when we unite around the gospel, when we pool our resources and our prayers, there is power in that, that allows us to, uh, do you know what I mean when I say we, we punch above our weight? You know, we, we may be the most flyweight, skinny, bantamweight boxers on our own, but together we, we pack a punch more powerful than Mike Tyson. And uh, it's wonderful to be in partnership with you. So thank you so much for, for what you are doing for Mario and Jen. I know they are exceedingly grateful. I said to him, if you wanted me to tell the church there, Christ Community Church, one thing, what would it be? And he said, we would want you to greet them. Tell them we love them and tell them that we're only here because of the impact that you guys have had upon him and Jen. So thank you. It's wonderful. Now, CB has asked me this morning to speak about something that is dear to my heart. And one, it's a, it's a wonderful privilege to be a part of. And that is the mission that God has called us to, to make the gospel known in our World, And to do that, I'd like you to uh, turn, if you would, with me to Psalms. Now, you might think, well, why is he turning to Psalms if he's going to speak about the gospel and mission? 
Well, I believe God has given us a psalm that will open our eyes and help us to see the call and the glory of being involved in the unstoppable mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about the Psalms, some are extremely popular, aren't they? And when we think about the Psalms, perhaps the first thing that goes through your mind is Psalm 23. The famous words, the Lord is my shepherd, or maybe Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, O Lord. Or Psalm 51, where David's repentance is on display after his sin with Bathsheba. Perhaps Psalm 90 is the most familiar place for you, where we're taught to number, our, uh, to pray and ask God to teach us to number our days. Or Psalm 100, the great psalm of praise. We enter his courts with thanksgiving and his, uh, give him great praise for he is good. Or maybe Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let me not forget none of his benefits. Heals all my diseases, who lifts me from the pit. Crowns my life with steadfast love. Perhaps it's Psalm 117, and you just know that because it's the shortest psalm. Or the Psalm 119, because it's the longest psalm. Or Psalm 121, because we remember in times of trouble, we've memorized it to say, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Or psalm 139. Where we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 127 for us who are parents. It speaks of the blessings of children. Psalm 133. The unity that's beautiful amongst God's people. Or Psalm 150 where we're taught to sing praises to God. And sing loud hallelujahs on all sorts of exotic instruments. Psalm 67 however this morning where we're going may not be quite so familiar. Most commentators, most Bible scholars who write commentaries on the Psalms usually give over only one or two pages to Psalm 67. In fact, Martin Luther, the great German monk that you're all celebrating this month, you know, who was, you know, the, uh, the initial spark for the Reformation, he wrote five volumes on the Psalms and he completely ignored psalm 67 you won't find it in his writings on the psalms he just blazed over it onto more important things in his mind i guess but psalm 67 this morning is where i want us to turn because it's a mission psalm it's a psalm about global missions which i think is quite appropriate as we think about uh, praying for the united kingdom and the work of this church planting mario and jen into croatia And so Psalm 67 is a mission psalm, but it's a psalm that's framed in the language of prayer. And what Psalm 67 does, it it does two things, really, if you're trying to grapple with it and get your hands around it. It outlines God's all-time missionary purpose for the world. So it kind of sets the outline of what God's plan is for the world. And then it also sets God's ways of how he's going to accomplish that plan in the world. So it's kind of two outlines. What is God's missionary plan and what is his plan to accomplish that? How's he going to do it? So what's he going to do and how's he going to do it? And so as we read through Psalm 67 together now, just look for those two themes. Uh, what is God's missionary plan? and How's he going to fulfill it? And let's read God's word together if you would join me. 
I hope you can understand my accent. Psalm 67. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us. And make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's uh, pray, if you would, just with me to ask for God's help and his spirit to be at work amongst us through his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the joy of being together as your people, gathered from many different places and backgrounds and ages and races, joined together and united by Jesus Christ, who saved us by his precious blood and adopted us to be your children. Thank you for your word that we hold in our hands, that's your living words to us that bring faith and life and understanding about who you are and your purposes and plans for this world. We pray now that you would speak by your word and together with the power of your spirit, take the truths, the eternal truths of your word and work them deep into our hearts to produce a harvest of righteousness and peace and joy in our lives, in our families. And use your word to stir up fresh faith for the mission of making Christ known to our communities and cities and nations that he might be exalted. We ask these things in his precious name, for his precious name. Amen. Amen. Excuse me. So if you, as we read, hopefully you saw those two things that I spoke about just a few minutes ago. The mission of God and God's plan to fulfill it. So the mission of God is is kind of woven right throughout the psalm. And you see it in verse 2. He wants to be known. In verses 3 and 5, you see that he wants to be praised. In verse 4, you see he wants to be enjoyed. And in verse 7, he wants to be feared. Now, not in some evil North Korean despotic kind of way that we should fear him, but in a magnificent reverence and awe at the God that he is. That's what he wants. The supreme being in the universe to be known, to be enjoyed, to be rightly reverenced and feared and to be praised. 
He wants, as, as uh, Tom, who was leading worship this morning, reminded us, he wants to gather a people from every tribe and language and people and nation and bring them together under the head of Jesus Christ where they will dwell with him forever and he will be our God. It's God's great plan, his great missionary purpose. And his idea of how he's going to fulfill that plan is also woven, if you notice, throughout the psalm. That God is on an unstoppable mission to save sinners like you and me and make us his children. And he plans on taking those same sinners that he has rescued and using them to reach others with the good news of his grace and mercy. So God's great missionary plan is to make him known in the world and to save a people for himself. And he's going to do that through us. Through us. And if you want to distill Psalm 67 down into one sentence that you could tweet. uh, I don't suggest you do it. I don't really want to end up on Twitter. I'm not that uh, worried about my reputation. Well, I am worried about my reputation, really. But uh, I'm not worried about that I have some original thoughts. I I borrowed all of these. Um, But here's how you distill Psalm 67 down. God blesses his people so his saving power can be seen so that he might be praised. God blesses his people so his saving power might be seen so he might be praised. And so we're going to un, uh, unpack this psalm under those kind of three headings. God blesses his people so his power might be seen. So it might result in his praise. So let's begin with God's blessings received. And that's in verse 1. God's blessings received. If you read verse 1 again, you will notice that it sounds very familiar because it echoes the, the Aaron's high priestly prayer in Numbers chapter 6. In Numbers 6, verse 24 and 25, Aaron prays along a similar lines. May God be gracious to us. May his, he bless us. May he make his face to shine Upon us. It's a prayer that the psalmist utters asking God to be gracious to his people. To bless us. To shine upon us. That we might know his favor. That we might know his grace. That he might shower us with his mercy and we receive his forgiveness. That we might know his deliverance. We might experience his redemption. And find his salvation. That's What's tied up in this one verse? May God be gracious to us. Bless us. Make his face shine upon us. This is not a prayer of God, give me some power. Or God, make me prosperous. Which is so often in Western cultures how we understand the meaning of God bless us, don't we? Unfortunately, it's been misunderstood. To God, make us prosperous, extend my borders. You know, there was a reason the prayer of Jabez was the bestseller. Because it, it, it went to our, to our selfishly ambitious and materialistic hearts. Misunderstood what the real blessing of God is. His grace and mercy upon us. It's a prayer that asks not for power or prosperity, but for the, the warmth of relationship and fellowship and communion with God to be the normal experience of His people. That we would know his goodness, that we would know his faithfulness, that we would know his love, that we would know his fullness. The psalmist prays for this. 
Psalm 67 is a reminder right off the bat for us that we need God. We need God. We need more of his presence, more of him in our lives, more than we need anything else that this world could offer to us. We need his smile, his favor. We need his grace and his mercy. We need his presence and his spirit. We need his Christ and his salvation. We need a relationship with God more than we need anything else in the world. And the good news for us this morning that we understand more fully than the psalmist did is that is possible because of Jesus Christ. How can sinners who fell and rejected and rebelled against their maker come and approach a holy God and not just find that he is uh, tolerant of us, but that he welcomes us with open arms and draws near to us and calls us his own and makes us his children and wipes away our sin and wipes away our tears. How is that possible for sinners to approach the God who dwells in unapproachable light? Well, it's not. Apart from Christ. And so the psalmist's prayer. We look on and we say that has been answered for us. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And we just need more of that don't we? That's why the gospel is so important. Why we build on the gospel. Why we exalt Jesus Christ. Why we want to be gospel centered. Because it's not just a clever marketing slogan. Someone came up with, oh, I know what will sell books. Let's call it gospel-centered. Let's have a gospel-centered movement. No, we're gospel-centered because we need Jesus Christ more than anything else. The psalmist prayed it. And we experience it. But it's also a reminder because this is a missionary psalm. Psalm 67 is a missionary psalm that reminds us and tells us that before we Go for God. We've got to get from God. Before we go on behalf of God, we need him to fill us. To give us more of himself. To empower us with his spirit. To fill us and saturate us with his word. To fill us with the joy of the grace of God that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. We need God for ourselves before we can even accomplish anything for God. And it's not a one-off zap. It's not that we need God to wind us up like the Energizer Bunny and then just let us go on the way. We need God every day. We need more of God every day. Scholars and historians think that Psalm 67 was something that the Jews recited at the end of every Sabbath day. Having enjoyed a break from their work on the, for six days, having rested on the seventh day from their work and basking in the sunshine of God's grace and favor and rest. At the end of the day, they would recite this psalm. Need you tomorrow, God. Bless us. Don't want to just rest on my laurels. Don't just want to assume. Lord, we need you. They would recite this psalm at the end of every Sabbath day because they knew they needed before they went out the next day into the next week. They needed God more than anything else. 
And then if you notice at the end of verse 1, there's this pause, isn't there? The word selah that I read is, is in the original languages. And it's, uh, it's thought by many to be a sort of a musical term that means to pause. Just take a little break for a moment. Stop what you're doing and meditate on what's just been said. That's, I think, why it's included here at the end of verse 1. For as we read verse 1, it's very quick to, yeah, God, be gracious to us, bless us, make his face shine upon us. Okay, why? Now, let's get into this. Let's get into the mission. And, and the psalmist says, just stop. Pause just a minute. Don't breeze over that. Don't do a Martin Luther and ignore this psalm. Stop. Think about what has just been said. And as we think about it, it reminds us that it's not just a prayer to bless me up, God. It's a cry for the fullness of God's blessing to be received by God's people so that something might happen. And the pause, I think, here at the end of verse 1 is so that we focus on what follows next. We're, we're ready. We've taken a breath. Okay, what comes next? The words of verse 2 come next. So that. Why does God bless us? Why does God bless this church? Why does God bless you? Why does he make his face to shine upon you? Why has he made you to come to know Jesus Christ? Why has he forgiven your sins? It doesn't just terminate on you. It's so that something might happen. And the so that is our second point this morning. God's blessings are received so that God's Power might be seen. So God's power might be seen. And you'll notice in your, in your Bibles, right after the word seller in verse two, there's this, there's those words. That or so that, depending on which translation you're using. Why is God blessing us? Why is he shining, showing his face, shining his face upon us? Why is he gracious to us? We've paused. We've got an opportunity to think about it. So that his power may be known on the earth so that he might be known on the earth and his saving power known among the nations the prayer of the psalmist here is that god's salvation would come to his people that we would be aware of his grace and his goodness his forgiveness his deliverance his redemption his favor we might enjoy fellowship and communion with him and know somewhat a taste of his fullness so that the world around us might look on and see something And see the difference that Christ makes. And see the power of God to change people who are just like them. But now they have hope and joy. And it's not in their circumstances, in their situations, in their seasons of life. That they have something that they're living for that is bigger than them. That's bigger than the American dream. That's bigger than the next paycheck. Or the house, the holiday vacation home on the beach. Or the retirement fund. And God blesses us with grace so that people might come to know him and experience his fullness too. This is a prayer. Psalm 67 is really, it's rooted in the great promises that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12. Remember Genesis 12? God takes Abraham out of some obscure place in the middle of nowhere. And he says, I'm going to send you away from your family And from everything you've known and from the gods that you've worshipped up to now. And I'm calling you to another place. And I'm going to establish you there. And I'm going to raise you up as my 
chosen one, if you like. And I'm going to give you descendants as numerable as the stars. And I'm going to bless the entire world through you. These were the great promises that God made to, to Abraham. And this prayer in Psalm 67 just flows in that theme. That God has raised up his people with the purpose of blessing the world. That he has raised us up. He has called us out of darkness into his glorious light. And given himself many descendants, many sons and daughters. So that we might be a blessing to the world. And God's blessing here in Psalm 67 is not intended to end or terminate on God's people. It's poured out so that men and women currently outside of the people of God, outside of the church, outside of God's blessing, outside of God's salvation, might come to know him and his ways and experience that saving power and grace for themselves. The psalmist here is, and I, and I, this is not an original thought either. I borrowed this. I had once heard, uh, Kevin DeYoung speak about this. He said, the psalmist here is, is speaking about, uh, the need for Christians and for churches to have an attitude of radiation rather than concentration. What I mean by that is this, that we're not supposed to say, Lord, give me more grace so that I can live a cushy, really fantastic life. That the, Grace concentrates on me. That it just gets poured into me and I just swell up in grace. And my life is great. It's not a prayer to just bless our little group. Whether it be this church or my church or sovereign grace. Lord bless bless us. Give us great comfort. Give us great success. It's not even really a prayer that says bless me so I can bless others. It's a prayer that says God. Bless your people so that the world might see you at work and turn to you and know them, know you for themselves. Give us more grace as your people so that it flows out from us and radiates out from us and emanates out from us to them so that they might know your saving power. It's an attitude of radiation, not of concentration. That's what we're called to as Christians. That God would do something in us that would flow out from us to the nations. And in doing so, he would save people from their sins so that he might be glorified. An attitude of radiation, not concentration. You know, God has saved you and he saved me for far more than what we simply enjoy. As Christians, as glorious as that is, or I'm not underplaying that in, in any shape or form, there is great joy in knowing Christ, isn't there? There's great joy in knowing that your sins have been forgiven and that you have the promise of eternal life with him and nothing can shake that or steal that from you. There is joy in that, but there is more joy to be found than just that. He saved us as individuals. He's brought us together as local churches. He's joined our hearts and our mission together to be a living, visible, tangible revelation of his grace and power to the world. Think about how Peter phrases it in First Peter. He's, these are familiar words, aren't they? But I think they're very similar to what the psalmist says in 67. Because Peter prays in First Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he's given us an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. And in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you're grieved by various trials. But this happens so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And then he goes on to say in chapter 2, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people who belong to God. You're his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And what Peter is getting at is the same thought that the psalmist had. God has blessed his people. He's given us an incredible riches in Christ. Imperishable, undefiled inheritance kept for us. He's taken all of the Old Testament blessings that were upon Israel and he's given them to the church. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God himself. We were once not a people, but now we're his people. We were once people without mercy, getting what we deserve, but now we have received mercy. Why? So that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, as God shows us mercy, as we understand his grace more and more, that should, there should be a, a, a growth that as we understand his mercy, we also grow increasingly burdened to make that mercy known to others. That as we experience his favor, we are increasingly burdened, not out of sense of duty, but out of a sense of delight to make it known, to show it, to shine it forth, to speak it out, to declare it to the world. Amen. He has been so good to me. He can be so good to you. We have a responsibility as we become more aware of God's grace to us to be more proclamatory in the message of the gospel. And that's the psalmist's passion. Go back to Psalm 67. The psalmist's passion here in verse 4, you see it, is that the nations might know the supremacy and the glory and the majesty of God. He says, let the nations be glad. Let them sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity. You guide the nations upon the earth. He wants people to know who God is. And he wants them to be, experience his care. The word judge there isn't, isn't judge proclaiming a sentence like, like we might expect. It's, the idea of judge here in Psalm 67 is a judge, one who determines what is right. One who always does justly. One who always does what is best. And the idea of guidance here is, 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 uh, is found in the language of shepherding. So the psalmist is praying, his passion is, would, would people who don't know you, Lord, would they come to know you as the God who always does what is right? 
who is just and who is a shepherd to his people, who cares for them, who loves them and guides them, who takes them under his wing. And they experience his love. That's what the psalmist wants the people to know, that the nations would enter into the gladness that we know of God being our king, of God being our shepherd, knowing his favor and his love. And the psalmist wants the nations to know that. Now, as a Jew, he was writing some hard things that probably other Jews didn't really like to hear. Because when he's speaking about the nations, it's not how we think nations. You know, we think America and Canada and Mexico and England and Croatia and Australia. When they read nations, they read pagans, God-haters. So, you know, if you were to write this, you would say, this is what the psalmist is praying. God, would all of our enemies, would all of the Philistines and all of the Moabites and all of the Egyptians, all of the Babylonians and all of the Assyrians, would they come to lay aside the worship of Dagon and Baal and Molech and instead would they bow their knees to you? Would they bow their knees to the one true living God? And would they come to know and experience you for themselves? Would they submit to you as judge and king and shepherd? And then he says, Selah. Again, doesn't he? Because he wants us to just pause for a moment. And ask ourselves a few questions. Is that my passion? If that's the psalmist's passion, is that my passion? If that's what the psalmist prays, is that what I pray? We need to take an honest kind of just assessment of ourselves, I think. That's why he makes us pause. Do I have an attitude of radiation or concentration? Does my life and my prayers my giving and my serving reflect a desire for the saving power of God to be made known among the nations? Do I share the psalmist's compassion for the lost? Or am I comfortable in my Christianity? Am I comfortable with where I am? This church is great. It's not too boring. Sermons aren't too long. The worship's kind of nice. They've got stuff for the kids. Yeah, I'm kind of happy. Suits me. And we don't think about anything else. He wants us to pause. Take a little break and assess ourselves. Do we have a passion for God's ways and his power to be made known beyond our families, beyond these four walls, beyond our community, beyond our Sunday gatherings, beyond our city, beyond our nation? Wonderfully. Think this church has? Why would you send Croatia, Jen and Mario to Croatia? Why would you be funding them and supporting them and praying for them and praying for the United Kingdom and praying monthly for the nations? But it's easy for us to grow complacent. And it's easy for complacency to breed apathy. We need reminding, don't we? Because we're always on mission. 
The nations may not necessarily mean that you have to get on a plane and go to a faraway country and reach an unreached people group. The U.S. is a nation. God has brought the nations, I'm sure, a slice of the nations at the very least to to Reading, to Sinking Spring. We have the nations on our doorsteps. And so the question is, do we, do you, do I, do we want the people of Bristol, England? Do you want the people of Reading, Pennsylvania, currently worshipping BMW and Apple Durex, Visa, to turn from those idols and worship the one true living God. The psalmist makes us pause just to reassess our hearts in light of God's word. You know, a few years ago, there, there, and I know nothing about molecular biology, but I know a man who does. I think you studied that at school at some point. I know nothing about molecular biology, but I know everything there is to know about Ebola because I have watched the film Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman. You may have seen it. I know some people, you know, I I use film illustrations in my church and then I say, I know some of you don't want to admit to this because you're Christians and you don't, you say you don't watch films, but I know. All right. We'll just talk about that in accountability. Um, You know, I've watched Outbreak and I've seen what Ebola does to you. So I don't know anything about science, but I know about Ebola because obviously the films portray it very well. And what happens with Ebola is it's this horrible disease, this horrible virus that gets into your system and eats you from the inside out. Okay. And if you get infected by it, you are contagious. And everybody who gets around you gets it. And I pray for me, And my church and I pray for you that God would give us a a kind of a, a gospel Ebola that gets into our system, that eats us up from the inside out. And everybody who comes into contact with us would be infected. Catch what we've got. That's what the psalmist is praying for when he says, let the nations praise you, oh God. Let them catch something of the blessing that we've got that's eaten us up. May we be so contagious. May our gospel, may the gospel of Jesus Christ go viral across the world. That's the psalmist's prayer, and I pray that that's our prayer. And, and, and as I read Psalm 67, it's just personally poignant for me because I am not a Jew. I don't have any of Abraham's blood flowing in my veins. But someone read Psalm 67 And someone went and shared the gospel with the nations. Someone went to the Gentiles, to the Philistines and the Moabites and the Babylonians and the Assyrians. Someone went to the Greeks and the Romans. Someone went to Europe and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we all sit here today because of someone else's gospel bug someone was bitten by the gospel bug and it ate them up from the inside and they were infected and contagious and they went and they preached the gospel and here we are this morning as a result of someone's faithfulness to what god was calling them to do nations were reached and so it's poignant for me as i read psalm 67 because i'm not a jew you read paul and 
in Ephesians chapter 2. And he says, you know, the nations were far off, alienated from God, from God, cut off, estranged. Knew nothing of his blessings. And yet, he broke the dividing walls down. He sent people to the nations. And our eyes were open to the gospel. It doesn't just come to us and terminate on us. We're just in a long flow of history of people with an attitude of radiation. Let's make gospel known to the nations. May we be the same, brothers and sisters. Let's play our part in the ongoing, unstoppable mission of God to save sinners in his world. But the psalm doesn't end there. As God's blessings are received and as God's power is revealed and made known, it's all for the purpose that God's praises might resound. So God's blessing received, so God's God's power might be revealed, so God's praises might resound. Look at verses 3 and 5 with me, because here's the same refrain repeated. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you are the judge. You judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. So let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And I think there's there's a literary device at work here because Psalm three, uh, verse three and verse five are kind of like sandwich that you squeeze together, and verse four pops out. So you see the passion of the psalmist. But also here in verses three and five, we get the result of missions. It's the praise of God. And I think, now I, I, I wonder, I read verse 3 and I think the first description of praise in verse 3 I think is supposed to come from those who, are diff- who find themselves in verses 1 and 2. So if you are here this morning and you are a Christian and you have had your eyes open to the gospel and God has been gracious to you and blessed you and shined his face upon you, What's your responsibility? Praise. Let the peoples praise you. I think verse 3 is, is the first praise that comes from those who've received the blessings of God. But then verse 5, I think, is tied. It is a second voice that joins that first voice. And it's the voice of the nations. Those who we go to. Who hear about God and his grace and his gospel and his Christ. And then they join their voices with us in verse 3 and say, let all the peoples praise you. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you. Mission is supposed to lead to worship. Again, Tom referenced this. John Piper in his famous book actually based largely on Psalm 67, entitled, Let the Nations Be Glad. He once said this, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is is, is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over... And the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God. Missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. It is the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white hot enjoyment of God's glory. 
The goal of missions is the gladness of all peoples in the greatness of God. Missions begins and ends with worship. Straight out of Psalm 67. If you've received the blessings of God, if you know his grace, if you have been saved from your sins, worship him. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let that grace and that praise fuel your desire to go. To make it him known to the nations. So that they might join our voices to sing his praises. You know, we're not going to the nations with a message of misery. We're not going to the nations with a message to destroy their lives and kill their fun. Oh yeah, there's cost. Of course there is. But the aim of mission is the praise of God's glorious grace. Mission is about mercy for mankind, glory for God. And he gives us great blessing as his church, as his people, so that he might be known, so that he might be praised. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a faithful God. Thank you that you are a merciful God. We thank you that you are a gracious God. We thank you that you have lavished your grace upon us. Undeserving sinners, undeserving enemies who turned our backs upon you, who rejected you and rebelled against you and declared a war of independence from you. And yet in your mercy, because of your great love with which you have loved us, you reach down to pull us from the pit. And you did that through the work of your son who humbled himself and gave himself up to death, even death on a cross. Thank you for opening our eyes to the wonders of the gospel. Thank you for opening our eyes to see how much you have done for us. Lord, may we be a people who don't have that glorious truth just concentrate on us, but may it come to us and radiate out from us to those around us, to the nations, so that they might join us in singing your praises as they come to know your saving power. And Lord, we thank you that This psalm reminds us right at the end. Though we didn't have time to cover the last two verses. Lord, thank you that it reminds us that the last word of mission lies with you. The last word of mission lies with you. That just as you bring in the harvest year after year, you will bring in a harvest of souls. And that we can trust you. Even when all looks black. Even in the face of our inadequacies. Even in the face of our ineffectual efforts. Thank you that ultimately the fruit 
does not lie with us. It lies with you. So help us to have fresh faith for the mission and fresh confidence in the God who saves. We ask these things for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. May God make the next season of this church the most fruitful that you've ever seen in your history as you go to Reading and Pennsylvania with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks, pal. Lord, thank you so much for making your face to shine upon us. Thank you for your amazing grace in our lives. We truly enjoy and we rest in and we worship you and we take in and we savor all that you have done for us. We are the blessed because you have saved us. Lord, as Nathan highlighted from your precious word, help us to be a radiating church. Help us to shine brightly in Berks County and all around this area. And Lord, even to the nations, help us to shine for your glory so that the nations might come to know you the way we have come to know you. You are worthy of our worship and our voices recounting your praise, and you are worthy of the nations and those who do not know you to also praise you. Use us, Lord, powerfully to radiate your fame to the ends of the earth, Lord, for your glory and for your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, wasn't that wonderful? Can we thank God for Nathan and the blessing that he was to us today? Thanks, bro. If you get a chance, please come up and greet Nathan. I'd love for you to get a chance to meet him, and he'd love to get a chance to meet you as well. We're going to linger around here and just give you the opportunity to get to know him a little bit and thank him for his care for Mario and Jen and his care for our church. And church, Enjoy this wonderful day, and remember, for those of you who have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, God has made his face to shine upon you, and nothing is ever going to separate you from the love of God in Christ. Enjoy your day. God bless you.